This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of that Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Well, I wanted blood last night. I got blood. Rarely do my predictions come out so accurately, but... Yeah, uh, you did a good job. We both did a good we job. We both did a good job. Uh, I predicted a historically bad debate performance by Michael Bloomberg, and it was actually even worse than I thought it would be. <laughs> I didn't think he would be, like, blubbering so much. I thought he no. would. I thought he would go lean more on over-rehearsed corny lines. Instead, yeah. he just looked totally unprepared. No, and he got smashed in the first five minutes by Elizabeth Warren, proving to be useful for once on the debate stage, uh, completely smashed, and didn't even want to respond to what she had said when she called him out on pretty much everything. And I got, I got heading into the debate last night, I got similar vibes as to the 2008 vice presidential debate between Joe Biden and Sarah Palin in which we all are us naive selves when we thought Joe Biden was actually good and as good as we can do as a vice president nominee for Barack Obama just wanted to see him smash Sarah Palin on the debate stage and also so assume that it would happen like there's no way that Sarah Palin is going to be able to handle herself on this debate stage but she ended up benefiting from extraordinarily low bar on the floor expectations and was able to walk away from that debate not completely ruined bloomberg not so much the expectations were not that low and he performed even worse than most people i think imagined he would perform and i'd like to hear from the billionaire klubeck who was on msnbc yesterday before the debate saying Watch out for Bloomberg tonight. He's going to surprise a lot of people. He's got the quips to beat Trump. <laughs> wonder what he's saying now. It was perfect because he was standing there proving everything correct about Bernie Sanders' worldview. Here you have this arrogant billionaire who spent $400 million to get himself on that stage, and he looked like he had no idea what he was doing. Just proving the point that billionaires, they might be good at accumulating money, but that's about it. Meanwhile, Pete and Amy just uh, fighting each other into irrelevance. Uh, Joe Biden not really showing up, not seeing much out of Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren, as I said, proving herself useful for big chunks of the debate when she went on the attack against Bloomberg, but also kind of selling it all out at the end, along with the rest of the candidates. And what was probably the biggest story coming out of the debate other than the complete annihilation of Michael Bloomberg. And that is that Bernie Sanders, the only candidate saying that whoever has the, the, mo the most delegates, even if it's not a majority, but the plurality of delegates should be the nominee. The rest of the candidates suggesting that they'd be interested in seeing what a contested convention could bring. Also, Bernie Sanders unique in uh, pointing out that Michael Bloomberg didn't actually make his billions that other people made those billions for him. Yeah, that was a that was a great moment in the debate. A fantastic moment in U.S. presidential political history because, I mean, for example, we always see how Elizabeth Warren likes to talk about rich people. She's like, oh, good for you. You made that money. Now give some back. 
Bernie Sanders is not fucking around on this front. He's like, no, you didn't fucking make that money. Other people made that money for you. Yeah. You're yeah. scum, dude. Yeah, it's, you, you see the progress in how we're talking about these things to where in the Obama era, one of the buzzwords were you didn't build that. Yeah. Remember that? And it caused Republicans to absolutely flip the fuck out. But now we're explicitly saying workers built that. That's right. You, you didn't you didn't build that. But back to the end of the debate. It's one of Obama's better lines, I got to say. Yeah. Back to the end of the debate when the candidates all said that they'd be interested in a contested convention. Um, basically saying the, the, the quiet part out loud again. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to just accept that when that's the conclusion at the end and be like, well, we're here now. It's interesting how people like David Pluff and uh, Axelrod, these kind of Democratic Party people who came with Obama and became sort of institutional figures are warning against this explicit strategy, saying, no, 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 that'll destroy the party. Uh, you have to give it to whoever's winning in delegates, even if that's Bernie Sanders. And yet all the candidates are like, no, no, we fucking don't. <laughs> they they really would rather destroy I think, their entire well, political party. Honest, rather, well, we'll see, to, I guess. Yeah, but. to be honest, I think, and based on the way I've seen some surrogates talk today, and they say, oh, well, what, you think we should just automatically give the candidate who only gets 25% support the nomination? It's like, well, yeah, if the rest of the people didn't get that much support, if that's the most support, <laughs> yes. But, you know, if, if that's all Bernie gets... And he only has, you know, 100 delegate, 200 delegate or, or fewer lead. Maybe they can make a justification. I personally think that it would still be fucked up and you still have to give it to the majority or the person who got the most delegates. But if it's a close race, you could see a scenario where they could they could go with it. But that's a highly unlikely scenario at this point, it even being close. The more likely scenario is that Bernie gets north of 35% of the delegates, maybe 40, maybe 45. Maybe he gets a majority and we don't even have to talk about this, but it's more likely that he gets a majority of delegates than it is that he only has like a hundred delegate lead at this point. And by far the most likely scenario is that he has a several hundred delegate lead north of 35%, 40%, at which point, as we discussed with Owen, they can't take it away from him. These candidates are still operating under an unlikely scenario where he has a small delegate lead when in reality he's going to have an 800 delegate lead and you're not going to be able to do it. That's right. That's right. But I wouldn't put it past them to try. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't put it past them to just fucking dynamite the whole thing. And it's ironic because, you know, you hear Buttigieg say it. He's incorporating it into his talking points, saying that Bernie is trying to destroy the Democratic Party. Uh, I wish, actually, he was trying to do that personally, but he's just trying to bring the party to the left. Now, in the minds of a fucking management consultant human rat like Pete Buttigieg, I guess moving slightly to the left is destroying something. So why not just undermine the whole party then and try some... some uh, some McKinsey convention rat fucking. Well, you lose. Yeah, You're no, lose. It, and they're, they they and would rather do that. Well, the, it, 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 it seems, I guess, it seems I, like I guess it. the question is, what is more frightening to the Democratic establishment? Is it losing to Trump or is it Bernie winning? 
It should be losing. It, it losing to Trump losing should to Trump. be. The and fact sure that we don't know. There are certainly <laughs> forces. There are certainly forces in it that would prefer to see Trump reelected than Bernie win. But I wonder deep down if these people actually think Bernie can win. Because you hear them. That their main argument is Bernie can't beat Trump. That's the main argument. But, the establishment says is that Bernie can't be Trump deep down. Do you think they believe that? No, we, we have the recording of Michael Bloomberg in late 2016 or 2017. Was it when he said uh, Hillary Clinton couldn't didn't beat Trump? There was a guy who could beat Trump. His name was Bernie Sanders, uh, but the party didn't go with him. Michael Bloomberg has admitted that Bernie Sanders can beat Trump. And now he wants, and it's on video. It's on video yeah. in front of an entire audience. And now he's getting up there on national TV acting like nominating Bernie means nominating a candidate who can't beat Trump. There's no way he doesn't believe, there's no way he believes that Bernie can't beat Trump. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's what makes the contested convention more likely. Because if they truly believe that Bernie can't beat Trump, then let him run. Let him run and lose. We shouldn't even be having this conversation, though. I mean, I don't may, think we're going to need to. And I don't. I, I, yes. And I think that ultimately Sanders, like we were saying with Owen, Sanders uh, platform is not that radical. It's not going to turn us into Cuba. It's going to make us a little bit more like Canada. And that is ultimately something the Democratic establishment should be able to get behind, because when FDR did his New Deal stuff, you know, people saw him as the savior of capitalism. And that that's the sad truth with the Sanders campaign is it's only going to be so radical. And yet even then the Democratic establishment is ready to fucking go kamikaze on this shit. Yeah, it's been great uh, this last day to hear liberals talk about the need to implement ranked choice voting <laughs> <laughs> now that uh, a first past the post contest looks like Bernie's going to win. So they're like, oh, let's do ranked choice voting, in which case maybe someone like Warren would have a better chance than Bernie. It's like, OK, let's let's hope you remember that. But after we nominate Bernie, let's go ahead and put ranked choice voting in all around the country. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's fine with me. That's uh, after we nominate that dude, we're going to get all your electoral reforms and you're just going to lose more. So we probably won't get the reforms, though, obviously. Thursday's a great day to subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. The reason why is our garbage can nominations are open. Plenty of uh, fodder during last night's debate and the spin room and analysis post-debate. You can submit your garbage can nominations, vote on garbage candidates on Friday morning, and then listen to the subscriber-only show Friday afternoon. Subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel. You also get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. We're going to read some poetry later on in today's show. It's Thursday, February 20th, 2020. Here's the news. The president nominated a reactionary hack to serve as a top intelligence official, sidestepping congressional oversight in the process. President Trump named Richard Grinnell as the acting director of national intelligence. The acting appointment means Grinnell, a Trump loyalist, can serve for about seven months as the top intelligence advisor to the president. It also means Grinnell can serve in the powerful position without being confirmed by the Senate. President Trump has done this time and time again. His filterless brain basically admitted that he prefers acting appointments specifically because it means he doesn't have to answer to the Senate to make them. 
Here was the president being asked in April about naming a permanent Homeland Security secretary after he fired Kirsten Nielsen. Well, I'm in no hurry. I have acting, and my actings are doing really great, but I sort of like acting. Gives me more flexibility. Do you understand that? I like acting. <laughs> do you understand that? Yes, we do. Somehow we do understand that, even though you're barely speaking in English. <laughs> As alluded to earlier, Trump needs the flexibility on Grinnell because he's arrogant, far-right scum, though he did pass a Senate confirmation as U.S. ambassador to Germany. In that role, he pissed off his host country on day one by threatening German companies doing business in Iran. He also interfered in domestic politics, saying he wants to, quote, empower the right in Europe. The German media noted he was very well liked by members of AFD, the far-right alternative for Germany party, a viciously xenophobic Muslim-hating party. From weekly magazine Der Spiegel, quote, AFD parliamentarians posed for selfies with the ambassador at the embassy's 4th of July party in Berlin. Petter Bistrun, a foreign policy specialist for the AFD, immediately posted his photo with Grinnell on Twitter, along with the hashtag conservative revolution. Grinnell's promotion comes at an especially raw time for Germany. Last night, nine people were killed in attacks at two shisha bars in Hano, a town outside of Frankfurt, Chancellor Angela Merkel said the attacker, quote, acted on right-wing extremist racist motives. The incident wasn't isolated either. There have been a string of far-right attacks in Germany in recent years. A synagogue was targeted by a gunman in October. A pro-migrant politician was assassinated in June. In 2016, a self-described radical right-wing gunman killed nine people at a shopping mall in Munich before killing himself. This is what it looks like when people like Grinnell, quote, empower conservatives. In that vein, last night's shooter saw himself in President Trump. Tobias Ratjen posted a ranting manifesto before carrying out his attacks and killing himself. Among other things, the killer said, quote, a billionaire in the USA is implementing my policy recommendation, even some slogans I developed like America first, buy American and hire American, end of quote. Moving on, the Department of Justice Inspector General released a disturbing report documenting how the Bureau of Prisons is struggling to provide proper treatment to inmates suffering from hepatitis C. The details were part of a broader review of the Bureau's increasing spending on pharmaceuticals. Between 2012 and 2018, the Bureau's inmate population decreased overall, but the annual pharmaceutical costs increased, mainly because the cost per inmate increased by 84%, from $450 to $828. 20% of that spending is a result of hepatitis C treatment. The Bureau of Prisons was spending $4.4 million in 2012 treating hepatitis C among its population. That number has increased by nearly 500% to $25 million in 2018, mainly due to a new, more costly medication, which unlike other government agencies, the Bureau of Prisons isn't able to take advantage of at reduced prices. Also, it's because the Bureau has completely mismanaged its hepatitis C treatment program. Inspector General found that the Bureau doesn't know how many inmates are infected. It's estimated at between 10 to 15 percent, but not all institutions actually test inmates, so it's impossible to verify. The watchdog also found that once an inmate was found to have hepatitis C, some institutions were not properly classifying them into treatment priority levels and were providing inconsistent treatment due to lack of staffing. Reading from the report, quote, 
we found that the availability of resources at the institution level has at times driven hepatitis C treatment decisions, resulting in inconsistent treatment for inmates and thereby hampering the Bureau of Prisons' efforts to effectively manage hepatitis C and control pharmaceutical and medical costs. End quote. The IG made two recommendations to the Bureau. One, complete and implement a regime that will allow the Bureau to accurately track and report hepatitis C testing, diagnoses, priority levels, and treatment, and require institutions to maintain it. And two, look into requiring institutions to implement universal voluntary opt-out hepatitis C testing. The Bureau of Prisons agreed with both recommendations. Mike Bloomberg was panned last night for his awful debate performance. He stammered and looked confused. He defended his failure to release his tax returns on time and said it was fine that he imposed non-disclosure agreements on women employees who had accused him of sexual harassment and gender discrimination. But don't tell that to the bootlicking class. This morning, three Democratic congresspeople rewarded Mike's wet noodle debate performance by endorsing him for president. Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey, Nita Lowey of New York, and Pete Aguilar of California. Naturally, all three are tied in Bloomberg's web of oligarchic interests. As the Associated Press noted, Aguilar has received financial backing from Bloomberg's Political Action Committee. Lowey's former chief of staff, Howard Wolfson, is a top advisor to Bloomberg's campaign, and Bloomberg campaigned for Gottheimer in 2018. Gottheimer's brother-in-law is Bloomberg campaign manager Bradley Tusk. Also, like another Bloomberg backer, New York's Gregory Meeks, Gottheimer does favors for one of the scummiest industries in the country. Meeks and Gottheimer have used their position on the House Financial Services Committee to advance legislation backed by the payday loan industry. I wonder why they're backing Mike Bloomberg. I, it's just, it's a real fucking mystery. <laughs> Finally, the Federal Trade Commission announced on Thursday that the checks are in the mail for more than a half million people scammed by Office Depot. The payouts are part of a $34 million settlement that the office supply giant made with the FTC last year related to misleading customers into believing they needed to purchase more computer support services to fix a problem that didn't really exist. Reading from the complaint, quote, Office Depot and Office Max ran PC Health Check, a diagnostic scan program created and licensed by support.com that tricked those consumers into thinking their computers had symptoms of malware or actual infections, even though the scan hadn't found any such issues. Many consumers who got false scan results bought computer diagnostic and repair services from Office Depot and Office Max that cost up to $300. Support.com completed the services and got a cut of each purchase. End quote. Sounds like pretty scummy shit. In addition to the $34 million fine that will go toward refunds, the companies involved are also prohibited from making various deceptive claims in the future. The average check per defrauded customer will be a solid 63 bucks. Sam, what would you do with 63 bucks in your hand right now? I'd go up to Atlantic City and put it all on red, baby. <laughs> I'd get the uh, what's poppin' five gram for $50 deal <laughs> and use the rest to get a uh, spicy three-piece tender from Popeye's. How much do those spider legs cost? 25 bucks. 25 bucks. That Maybe we should get two of those and go to Popeye's. All right. All right. <laughs>
There it is. Okay, that music means the newscast is over. Time to read some poetry for our new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. This one is for Rob. Throw in the towel, I hear, holding a towel, debate side. I don't. Thank you, Rob. Finally, this is for Scott. Cactus ass moron. Grinning with a shoulder shrug, dumbass Mike Bloomberg. Thank you, Scott. And thanks to all our subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. We could not do this show without you. Last thing to get to before we end the podcast for the day, it's the listener rant line. Hey, this is the Macho Man Rand Paul's neighbor. I'm here with a WCW trivia update, update, update. Um, so first of all, super, super fucking jealous that you were actually present at Bash at the Beach when the NWO was formed. That's right. Present live at our generation's moon landing. Like that's right. Jesus, <laughs> that's that's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, you did not get the question right. Uh, Dennis Rodman but- was indeed in. Uh, the NWO, um, I believe he was in a tag team match teaming up with Hollywood Hulk Hogan against Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone at a different pay-per-view. Oh, damn. Uh, but um, <laughs> at, uh, at Road Wild 1998, I, was, uh, I asked for Jay Leno's tag team partner, Jay Leno, famous enemy of the NWO, and his tag team partner was Jay Leno. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it was um, about as awful as you think it would be. So, uh, <laughs> nice try. Unfortunately, did not get it right. So, anyway, we had fun. Thanks. <laughs> damn, damn. Um, it all blends together those late '90s WCW wrestling matches. But I do remember Jay Leno now in a leather jacket ringside uh, in a ring. I don't really remember the conclusion of that match, but I'm guessing that Jay Leno and Diamond Dallas Page won the match somehow. Fuck Jay Leno. I was so excited when Conan moved over to take Jay Leno's spot, and then <laughs> somehow Jay Leno was able to to say, actually, he wanted his spot back, and then NBC gave him the spot back. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Yeah, that was a weird time. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for the call, Macho Man Rand Paul's neighbor. Uh, the rant line is 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. Shoot uh, Sam Knight with some Simpsons trivia. All right. That's the newscast for today. We will be back next week with some brand new newscasts for everybody. If you're a subscriber, though, we're back tomorrow with the Garbage Can Show. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.